pastor here, and I just want to welcome those of you that are worshiping with us in person and those of you that are joining us online. And we're in the in a series that we're doing on the book of Galatians. And over the last several weeks, we've been in Galatians 5. And we've been intentionally spending a little bit extra time in Galatians 5 because of what Paul is teaching us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And in Galatians 5, Paul mentions at the end of Galatians 5, he mentions the Holy Spirit seven times because the Holy Spirit is the key to our spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is the key to our spiritual lives. But the reality is, is the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood. In fact, I believe he's the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. Like we understand God the Father, right? God the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We understand Jesus the Son, that Jesus, God the Son, died on the cross for our sins, paid our debt so that we could have eternal life. But the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, like what does that mean? Who is he? What is his role in our lives? And the problem is there's so many misconceptions and there's so many misunderstandings because we all come from different backgrounds. I came from a background that basically ignored the Holy Spirit because they didn't want us to do anything weird. Uh, so they just completely ignored the Holy Spirit. They're like, we're just not going to talk about him much. We're not going to do anything. And some of you came from backgrounds that did some weird stuff about the Holy Spirit. And so there's all these different conf- this confusion and, and myths and ideas about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think, well, I, the Holy Spirit's only present if I feel goosebumps. No, it may just be that you're cold. But, but sometimes we have these misconceptions about the Holy Spirit that, he's, that he comes and goes that, and, and that, he's, you know, that he causes us. We were talking about this morning. He, we fall out if you have the Holy Spirit. Somebody, you know, one of our uh, folks I was talking to said that it freaked them out when the first time they were in this church and somebody fell out because the Holy Spirit just fell down, thought they had a heart attack. And so, you know, and so we all in that spectrum of ignoring the Holy Spirit and misunderstanding the Holy Spirit is in somewhere, where is the truth? What is the, what is the actual role of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is crucial to our spiritual growth, if the Holy Spirit is crucial to our lives as Christians, then where does the Holy Spirit fit in? You see, the moment you and I became a Christian, the moment you received Jesus Christ, you trust him, place your faith in him, what the Bible teaches us is at that moment, you and I are given a new life in Christ. That's why whenever you read Paul's epistles and he talks about the fact that you are in Christ, that is our new identity. As a follower of Jesus, you are now in Christ. And as a result of being in Christ, we are reborn with a new spirit. The Holy Spirit then dwells within us. And this new life and this new nature is based entirely upon the work of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit guides us, leads us, helps us, and shapes us to become more and more like Jesus. Back in Galatians 3, if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about the fact that that Paul said to the Galatians, like, guys, you started in the Spirit. And now you're trying to finish the Christian life in the flesh? No, we begin in the Spirit, and we live the Christian life by the Spirit. And Galatians 5, 
Paul writes the end of Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. The purpose of his writing this is to show the Galatians, the church in Galatia, these Christians, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the role that he plays in our spiritual growth, how he is absolutely essential to us living out the Christian life. Listen to what he says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now that makes sense, right? If we're to live by the Spirit, then we should keep in step with the Spirit. The question is how? The question is what does that actually mean? To keep in step with the Spirit and to live with the Spirit, what does this mean and how do we do it? If it's so crucial to our spiritual lives that we live by the Spirit, that we keep in step with the Spirit, how? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, His role in our lives. Because what it means to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, means that all the details of our lives, from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we lay our head down at night, we are to live empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That everything we do in the Christian life, everything we do is to be done through the power of God's Holy Spirit. But what does that mean practically? What does it practically mean for us to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit? Well, what I want us to do this morning is take the context of Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25, and try to give us as complete a picture as I can of what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. And then what I want us to do at the end is we want to, I want to conclude by showing us three steps that each and every one of us can take in order to walk by the Spirit. So, Let's, let's dig into this whole idea of walking by the Spirit. So this, this phrase, walking by the Spirit, Paul mentions it several times in this text. And he mentions it in verse 16. So if you'll go to Galatians 5, 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey, the opposite of walking by the Spirit is gratifying the desires of your flesh. Now, if you remember, the flesh is our old sinful nature. The flesh is the nature of, that we were born with. It is a nature that is in, in opposition to God. It is, an, it is our nature, our sinful nature, that opposes the things of God, that longs for independence from God, that seeks gratification from worldly pleasures. That's our old nature. That's our sinful nature. That is the flesh. So when Paul says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, what he's saying is you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And Paul says we will not gratify, when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But then he says this, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when we walk by the Spirit, that means that you and I are not controlled by the flesh. When we walk by the Spirit, it means that we are not fulfilling the desires of our flesh. It means that we are not controlled by our sinful old nature. And what verse 17 teaches us and shows us 
is that our flesh produces desires within us. And also, God's Holy Spirit produces desires within us. And they are opposed to one another. We talked about this last week, this battle that rages within each and every Christian. There's this battle between God's Spirit that indwells us and our flesh, our, our old nature that is against the Spirit of God. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5.17. That this opposition, that there's desires produced by the Spirit. And that there's desires that we have, but based on our old nature, and they are opposed to one another. So walking by the Spirit means this. It means that we desire those desires that are produced by the Holy Spirit lead us and control us. In other words, they are stronger than the desires produced by our flesh. When you and I walk by the Holy Spirit, we are walking by those desires that have been given to us by God's Spirit. And when we walk in those, that means that those desires are stronger than the desires of our flesh. So walking by the Spirit is not something you and I do in order to receive the Spirit's help. Because that's one of the misconceptions, right? That if I do these things, then the Holy Spirit will help me. No, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he gives you those desires. And those desires are to obey God. And when you obey them, it's not so that you receive the Holy Spirit's help. But you, it's something that we do through the power of the Holy Spirit that is already within us. That's a huge distinction. See, ultimately the Spirit... Ultimately the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that is good within us. Now, some of you are saying, well, no, Eric, I'm a pretty good dude. Like, I'm pretty good. I'm all right. I'm, you know, I do pretty good things. I'm good. No, here's the reality. Paul said in Romans 7, he said, nothing good dwells within me. That's the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He said that nothing good dwells within him. The reality is, church, that any good in you is a product of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And that's hard for us to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Because it kind of eats at our pride a little bit. It eats at who, you know, that we're actually, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. But the reality is that any good within us is a gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. This new birth that we talked about in Christ is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives to create a whole new set of desires, a whole new set of loves, a whole new set of longings within us to obey God, to love God, to follow God. And when these desires are stronger than the desires of our flesh, then we are walking by the Spirit. Because we always follow and live according to our strongest desires. Now, here's the reality. If you are desiring sin, ultimately you'll actually sin and do what you're desiring. Because our lives are driven by our desires. And if we desire those things, we'll ultimately live up to them. And the truth of the matter is that each and every one of us are feeding one of two desires. We're feeding the desires of our flesh and our sinful nature. Or we're feeding the desires of the Spirit of God that indwells us. 
Every decision you make, every moment of our lives, we are feeding one of those two desires. We're, just, we're feeding the desires of our flesh or we're feeding the spirit. And the stronger of the two will win out each and every time. Therefore, what walking in the spirit means, it means that the, that the Holy Spirit enables us by producing in us strong desires to live to live and to follow God's will. The Holy Spirit puts within us these strong desires to obey God. The Holy Spirit puts within us these strong desires to love and follow Jesus. And when we walk in those desires, guess what? We are walking by the Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about here. And this is exactly what Paul promised in Ezekiel 36. Paul told the prophet Ezekiel, or God told the, the, Paul didn't tell him, God told him. God told the prophet Ezekiel this prophecy. And he said this, he says, I will give a new heart to you. I will put a new spirit within you, and I will put my spirit within you, and he will cause you to walk in my statutes. So every time you and I walk in the spirit, every time we we obey the commands of God, what are we doing? We're fulfilling that prophecy that the Holy Spirit has produced in us a desire for God's ways that are stronger than our than the desires of our flesh. And as a result, he leads us to obey God's commands. And so Paul says. Back in Galatians 5.18, that if you were led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So here, Paul shifts from walking by the Spirit to being led by the Spirit. But basically, he's saying the exact same thing. He's just coming at it from two different angles. The one is the initiative of the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Holy Spirit. He leads us. We don't lead him. And then we walk in the Spirit, which, are, which is our response to the Spirit's leading. So Paul is saying that we are led by the Spirit. And then, as a result, we respond to the Spirit's leading by walking in the Spirit, by obeying those desires that He's placed within us. So here's how it works practically. Here's how, here's how the Holy Spirit works practically in our lives based on what we've looked at so far. The Holy Spirit leads us. By creating within us desires to obey God, to love God, to follow Christ. He creates those desires within us, and then our response is to walk by those desires. Does that make sense? So God leads us by producing those desires within us, and we respond to those desires by walking and obeying what he's said for us to obey. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. And as a result of that, what happens is the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, frees us from being under the law. This is the whole premise of this letter that Paul's written. The Galatians were trying to live the Christian life by following rules. And he says, listen, no, 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 no. You don't walk by the Spirit by outwardly following rules, which is the law. You walk by the Spirit by inwardly following the desires that the Spirit has placed in you. Those desires to obey is actually how you live the Christian life. And there's a huge difference between trying to live the Christian life by a list of rules and regulations versus living the life by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul is making that distinction here. It's saying that the Holy Spirit, when he is leading us, when he is creating those desires within us, then obeying God's commands is not going to be a burden. It is going to be a joy. We're going to want to obey God because God has placed those desires within us. And then Paul, beginning in verse 19, contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Look what he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We talked about this last week. They're evident because we all do them. They're evident because they come natural to us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So Paul's just saying, listen, there's a big category, things like these. If, if your sin didn't fit in there, it would. That's basically what he says. <laughs> whatever you're struggling with, whatever your sin is, whatever your, your, your habit is, the, if it's not in this list, it, sh- it could be. Because there's things like this, Paul says. But then he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace. It's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. So Paul is contrasting the, the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. See, the opposite of doing the works of the flesh is bearing the fruit of the Spirit. But why doesn't Paul call this the works of the Holy Spirit? Just like he did the works of the flesh. Have you ever thought about that? Like I was thinking about that when I planned this message. Like Paul intentionally says these are the fruits of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit. Why? I think he did so so that you and I would never be confused about the about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control being the being our own works, being produced by us. I think he wanted to make sure that we never thought that what the Holy Spirit does in us is a result of anything that you and I can do. I think he wanted to make sure that we realize that God's Spirit produces God's fruit. That God's Spirit produces God's fruit. It's not something that you and I can work up in ourselves. It's not something that you and I can can just say, you know what, I'm going to have more patience today. It's not going to work unless the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in you. It's not going to work. Same with self-control, same with with gentleness, kindness, goodness, all of those. It's God's Holy Spirit producing that within us. The truth of the matter is none of us have self-control apart from the Holy Spirit. None of us do. None of us can have those those fruit. So, but why does he say fruit and not fruit? So we looked at why he said fruits and not works, but why does he say fruit and not fruits, plural? Because he lists nine different things. And the reason is is that it is one fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives, working in our lives. It is one fruit. 
not several fruit, not, not multiple fruits that we can pick from. So you know what, like, I like, I like uh, gentleness is a good one. Self-control, no, you can keep that one. Patience, don't want anything to do with that. But I like joy. Joy's a good one. Let me have that fruit. No, Paul is saying, listen, this is one fruit that flows from the Holy Spirit. But what exactly is this fruit of the Holy Spirit? And here's the thing I want you to notice, first and foremost. It is not a list of things for you and I to do. It's not a list for you and I to do. I don't want you to go and say, you know what, today I'm going to be gentle or patient or kind or whatever. No, these are not a list of things for us to do. Rather, they are character traits that God produces in us. But they're not just any character traits. These are the character traits of Jesus himself. So here's what I want you to see. These fruit of the Spirit, when they are produced in us, they are making us more and more like Jesus. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit's work in us. That you and I would become more and more like Jesus. That Christ would be formed in us. That's what Paul's showing us. That these fruit of the Spirit is the, are the character traits of Jesus himself. That as we walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we are exhibiting, we are living out the person of Jesus himself. Why? Because God's Spirit has produced God's fruit in our lives. That's the fruit of the Spirit. See, the Christian life is this life of transformation where you and I become more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit producing His fruit in us. That's how this, the Christian life works. So let me, let me break this down for us really practically. How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? He works in our lives in this way. He leads us. We are led by the Spirit. And what that means is the Holy Spirit creates godly desires within us. We are led by the Spirit. And then we respond by walking in the Spirit. In other words, we obey those godly desires. And as a result of that, we then bear the fruit of the Spirit that our lives become more and more like Jesus. That Christ is formed in us through the Spirit's leading, through our obedience, and then we bear that fruit Christ has formed in us. Does that make sense? That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. He leads us by creating those godly desires. We obey those godly desires by walking in the Spirit, and the result is we bear the fruit of the Spirit and Christ is formed in us. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what we need to grasp. The Holy Spirit is the one that creates the desires. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to obey. And the Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit in our lives. In other words, 
It has nothing to do with us. It is God's Spirit doing all the work. God's Spirit creating the desires. God's Spirit empowering us to obey. God's Spirit producing the fruit. So we need to understand that in all of this, it is God working in our lives. But the, but the question is, how can we walk in the Spirit? That centerpiece where we, our response of walking by the Spirit, I do believe there's three things that we can do in order to produce in our lives the, the, the right opportunity for the Spirit to work. I do believe there are three things that we can do to, to help us walk by the Spirit. The first one is this. We need to pull the weeds. We need to pull the weeds. The first thing that we need to do is we need to pull the weeds. How do we pull the weeds? First of all, I think we pull the weeds by acknowledging that we are helpless to, to live the Christian life on our own anyway. That just pulls the weed of our pride right out of the picture, right? Like, I, I am not capable of living my life for Christ on my own. So I'm going to pull that weed. I'm going to say, you know what? I can't do it. Paul said this. He said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. So we need to acknowledge, first and foremost, that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we're not going to be able to live out this Christian life. So we need to pull the weeds. We need to, we need to realize that we can do something without Jesus. You know what we can do without Jesus? We can gratify the desires of our flesh. That's what you and I can do without Jesus. We can sin. Without Jesus... We can gratify the desires of our flesh, but that's about all we can do. We're just going to live out our human nature. We're going to live by our flesh without Jesus. So the first step in walking by the Spirit is, is admitting that we can't do it in our own strength, that we, can't, that we can't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in us without the empowerment of His Holy Spirit. Then in verse 24, it shows the second thing we need to do. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the desires of the flesh with its passions and uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the second way we pull the weeds is that we crucify our flesh. We put sin to death in our lives. What is, how do we do that? Well, look what Paul says in Colossians 3. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. He's saying put those to death. Well, the question is, how, how do we put them to death? Like, how do we put sin to death? I don't know about you, but I struggle with putting sin to death in my life. Because it continues to rise up. It's like Paul in Romans 7, that I do the things that I don't want to do. The things I hate are the things that I do. So how do we do that? Well, he says in Romans 8. Right after he tells us in Romans 7, he says in Romans 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. How do you kill, the, how do you kill sin in your life? How do you put to death the deeds of the flesh? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not our power. It is his power working in us. It's his power working in us. It's the same thing we saw earlier in Galatians 5. 
It's the same thing Paul has already told us. Our sinful desires, our sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit desires what is contrary to our sinful nature. They are opposed to each other. So what was Paul's solution? He says in verse 25, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. So if we want God's fruit to grow in our lives, if we want to walk in the Spirit, the first thing we have to do is pull the weeds. Second thing we have to do is water the soil. We have to pull the weeds, we have to water the soil. What does that mean? Here's what I do know. That you can, and I've experienced this in my own yard. We can pull every weed in our entire yard. But if we don't water the plants that we actually have, guess what? They're going to die. Am I right? Tracy said I'm right. Because I am proficient at killing stuff that's supposed to be living and letting things live that are supposed to die in my yard. That's just the way it works at our house. But I do know that if I do not water what is supposed to be living, it will die. Well, how do we water the soil? Well, if you remember, Jesus told a parable. He told a parable um, about four soils. And those four soils represented each and every one, four different types of hearts that respond to God's word. And so the soil that we're watering is the soil of our own soul, the soil of our own heart. And we water that soil that make, to make it ripe for God's spirit to grow within us through prayer and through studying and reading God's word. That's how you and I water the soil. We pray and we read God's word. I want to tell you a story about a, um, a man named John Stott. Stott was a pastor and a theologian from London. And he's an incredible man of God. And the people who knew him personally said that he was the most Christ-like person they had ever met. Wouldn't you love to have that? Like people that meet you, man, you, that person is the most Christ-like person that, it, that I have ever met. Well, that's the way people describe John Stott. And I believe that part of the reason that John Stott was described as a person that was the most Christ-like person that had ever been met, and was, that, that people had ever met, was because God answered a prayer that John Stott prayed every single day. And here was his prayer. And he didn't pray it verbatim, but he prayed something similar to this every single morning. As soon as he woke up, this was John Stott's prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every day, John Stott would pray and ask God to ripen the fruit of his spirit in his life. See, when we pray, we are acknowledging our dependence upon God to work in us. So I think so often the reason that you and I don't experience the, the, the fruit of the spirit and the power of the spirit is because we're still trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. We're trying to do it on our own. And one of the ways we can notice if we're doing it on, doing it on our own, if we're not praying. 
See, if it's God that has promised to lead us, and if it is God that has promised to put his spirit within us, then I would think that you and I should pray that God alone would help us. And yet, how often do we go throughout, go day to day, week to week, without pausing and asking God through his power of his Holy Spirit to help? To produce the fruit in us. So the first thing we've got to do, church, is become a church of prayer. That we would pray, that we would, that we would, that we would seek God. That we would pray and, and ask for the Spirit to help us to walk in his ways. The second thing, in order to water the soil, is we've got to read God's word. Listen, church, we have to get in to God's word. We need to read and study and know this word. Because it is through this word that God produces within us the fruit that we're talking about. We learn his will. We learn his ways by studying his word. Here's what Psalm 1 says. It describes a godly person who is filled with the spirit. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, when he talks about law, he's talking about God's word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Would you like to be like that? Don't you want your life planted by streams of water? Who the Spirit flows through us. That's what Paul's talking about. Well, in order to have that, what does it say? We have to read the Word. We have to meditate on the Word. We have to study and know God's Word. The Word of God and the Spirit of God go hand in hand. They go together. Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. Ephesians 5, Paul says that be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our filling of the Holy Spirit and us allowing God's word to dwell within us richly go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. We can't separate being filled with the Spirit without being in God's word. It's impossible. But as we are in God's word, as we understand his ways, as he creates those those godly desires within us, then his Spirit empowers us. That's why scripture says that you and I are to be filled with the spirit of God. And as we're filled with the spirit of God, the way that happens is by allowing God's word to dwell richly within us. Paul said, uh, Paul, the Bible says that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a, a, somebody once asked a a pastor named D.L. Moody. He said, why do we have to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit? And Moody thought about it for a minute and he said, well, The reason is because I leak. It's true, isn't it? Like we can walk in the spirit one day and the next day completely lose it, right? Like what happened? It's because it's a moment by moment surrender. It is a moment by moment being filled with the spirit through prayer, through God's word. That's why... Psalms 1 says that day and night, he's he's talking about continuously meditating on God's word continuously, allowing God's word to indwell us richly in a continual basis. And so to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit 
happens when we dwell on the Word of God and we allow, we allow the Word of God to dwell in us and we surrender to God through prayer. So if we want, to, if we want, we want God's fruit to grow in us, if we want to walk by the Spirit, then we have to pull the weeds. We have to water the soil. And the third thing is we have to remain connected to the vine. We have to remain connected to the vine. Now we know that fruit will not grow on a tree that is cut down. It won't happen, will it? I remember uh, several years ago when Hurricane Irma came through Fort Myers and we were living there, we had a mango tree in our backyard, and that mango tree was amazing. It produced all kinds of fruit, and we loved it. We used to have to take fruit with us to our neighbors, to church all the time, because this thing would just produce so much fruit. Well, Irma blew the tree down, knocked it down. And so we were like, oh, this is awful, you know. We're going to lose this tree. But we had some friends. They helped me mend it, put it back together. We, 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 we were just praying, hoping, whatever, that this thing would survive. Well, the only way we knew it, would, it, it had survived was when? The next season it produced fruit, right? So we had to wait an entire year to come around for the tree to produce fruit, to know if it had made it or not. If it didn't produce fruit, we knew that it wasn't going to live. It wasn't going to survive. The same thing is true in our lives. Church, if we want to produce fruit, we have to remain connected to the source of life. And that source of life is Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it this way. In John 15, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul said the same thing in Colossians 2. He says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk or to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So this whole idea of you and I remaining in Christ, maybe your translation says that you abide in Christ. That phrase, abiding in Christ, is speaking of an intimate, personal, close relationship with Jesus. Not a casual acquaintance with Jesus. And so often we live our Christian lives almost as a casual acquaintance, acquaintance as opposed to a close personal, intimate relationship. But abiding in Christ, remaining in Him, is what Paul is talking about here. That's what he talked about in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is what abiding in Christ means. That Christ is living in us. He is dwelling in us. So if you are, if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that we grab hold of what it means to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to live by the Spirit. Because when we do, we'll be able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, my prayer is that you would become one. That you would see that, that, that what Jesus has done for us on the cross, through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection, what He has wants to produce in us 
is a far better way to live than by the, by the desires of our flesh. And if we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also walk by the Spirit. We can't do it on our own church. We can't live the Christian life by ourselves. We have to pull the weeds and kill the sin in, within our, in our lives, put to death the flesh. We have to water the soil by praying and, and, and studying God's Word every day. And we have to abide in Christ by staying connected to Him in intimate, close relationship. And when we do, when we do, I believe God's Spirit will work in us when we are led by the Spirit. He will create those desires, those godly desires within us. We'll walk in the Spirit and we'll obey those godly desires. And third, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit that Christ will be formed in us, which is the ultimate goal. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and your truth and the fact that that in our lives, we can't, we can't bear the Spirit on our own. We can't walk and live this Christian life on our own. We desperately need your help. We need you to lead us. We need you to create within us those desires, those godly desires to obey you, to love you, to follow you. And Father, we know as you lead us that you will then empower us to walk by your Spirit. That we will have this desire, this longing to obey those desires that you placed within us. These longing to obey you, longing to love you, longing to follow you. And we walk in the Spirit by obeying those. And then, Father, we know that as a result of that, you are going to bear the fruit of your Spirit in our lives. That we are going, we are going to become more and more and more like Jesus. But the truth is, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own power and our own strength. We need you. We need to yield to you, be filled with you, to be consumed by you, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would take this teaching, this message, and help each and every one of us apply it to our own lives. Because we all have weeds that need to be pulled. We all have areas in our lives that need water through prayer and through your word. And ultimately, Father, we pray that you'd help us to remain connected to Jesus. That we would abide in him. That our relationship with him would not be like a casual acquaintance but it would be as a deep, intimate, personal friend. And we pray this in your power, because it's through your power, Jesus, that we can actually live for you. We pray it in his name. Amen. You may be searching for a place to call home, and our hope is that you find home right here at Freedom, because this is a really special church. Our foundational belief focuses, of course, on Jesus, and our mission is to make disciples who love upward, inward, and outward. To learn more about freedom, join us on our website at freedombiblechurch.net.